people are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives probably, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles and a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Everywhere you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles, that Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want. Another Kind of Mind. A different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind. Daphne. Hello, Phoebe. How are you this fine autumn morning? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I like that we're pretending that we don't talk every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I'm talking to you, I feel just fine and dandy. Listeners, we're in the home stretch on the new series. We are. It's it's going to be very, very good, but we're not quite finished yet. We have been working our batoks off on this series. We promise we have been very, very busy worker bees. Oh, yeah. Um, and we do intend to complete the entire thing before we release any episodes. This is part of why it is taking us so long. Yes. So, yeah. But we want to make sure we have everything perfect before it goes live. We do. And this is the reason why um, we have not had time to do one of our typical deep dive episodes on a particular subject because we we're deep, deep in the well of our series. We, we, yep. we are deep diving on something different right now. Yeah. So this is why we're bringing you another mailbag episode. Number one, because they are fun and easy. And Relatively. <laughs> Defin relatively fun. <laughs> no, no, definitely fun. Relatively easy. And number yep. two, because we have such amazing mail from our super smart, very cool listeners. So we do feel like they, they make very interesting episodes. And you guys seem to like them too. So with that. <laughs> yeah, without further ado, let's hop into this mailbag. All Russell, right. Russell, R sound rummage, effects. Rummage. Rummish, rummish, <laughs> letter opener, sound effects. <laughs> Anonymous asked, just wanted to thank you all for the great work! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I love mail that starts that way. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Pop to the top of the list. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I mean, sort of. But you don't have to kiss our asses to make it onto another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, you don't not. have to, but we do appreciate it. We do appreciate it, yeah. Um, Anonymous says, I've been listening to the podcast since the very beginning, and you can't imagine my pure joy when I first found the podcast. Aww. 
Back then, I got so frustrated with the mischaracterization of Paul and his music that seemed to be everywhere. I got so insecure in my own experience and taste that I started to look upon everything Paul did with a really critical eye, which completely sucked the joy and magic out of everything. My little security blanket that Paul had always been turned rather heavy and cold, and I craved the days when I just could enjoy the music and all its colorful Mm. emotions. But then I stumbled upon your podcast and suddenly I felt so seen and lighthearted again. You opened my eyes to so many things and it was just such a joy listening to you. All of you were always so funny and insightful and I couldn't wait till the next episode was uploaded. In the meantime, I would always re-listen to the older episodes and I'd get obsessive all over again. So yeah, I really just wanted to say that you've got a big fan out there and I'm very grateful for all of you. Heart emoji. Old school heart emoji. Oh, thank you, Anon. That's the best. Seriously. That is Seriously. That is fuel. That's why we get up in the morning every day and do what we do. It is. It actually is. (laughs) So Yeah. And specifically like I I totally know what you mean about like questioning your experience and taste and like starting I mean, even as a huge Paul fan, I do feel like I still kind of have a critical eye for him it's it's very it's very odd like do you remember we've talked about this a couple times phoebe do you remember when get back came out and you and i were talking and i said that i'd seen people comment on oh look john looks bored listening to paul play him one of his new songs that reflects badly on paul and then also later being like oh paul looks bored while george is playing him one of his songs that That reflects reflects badly badly on on paul on paul yeah Yeah, so like they're definitely and i felt the same way when i watched that i was like oh no paul don't bore john and then i was like oh no paul don't be bored with george and I, i don't know what that means but it means something well he's been blamed for everything for so long (laughs) yeah well i'm very i'm very pleased to have given voice to some paul fans out there and to let everybody feel like they don't have to explain why they like paul they don't have to defend it he's freaking awesome that's why we like him Mm -hmm. to me the worst part is that you sometimes have to defend this even to other beatles fans and that I oh really... definitely sometimes the most most to Beatles fans yeah that's true yeah because other people don't care other people don't care and they're like Paul McCartney oh yeah he sang that song cool yeah exactly they're definitely not invested in this at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep but yes we're always happy to lighten hearts and warm up security blankets. Anything else you want to say to Security no. Blanket Anon? No, I'm I'm pretty much struck dumb by lavish compliments. So I really have nothing to add except thank oh. you so much. I <laughs> that message will be my security blanket when Aww. we start getting <laughs> for our new Ooh. series. But we won't because it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't upset anyone. Anonymous asked. Minus man, 
biopic about Brian Epstein Stein seems to be back on track. Will you be <laughs> watching it? And do you think we will learn anything new? Well, maybe we'll learn how to pronounce Brian's goddamn name. <laughs> I doubt we'll learn anything new. I mean, I'm sure some people will. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that sounds really snobby. <laughs> I don't think I will learn anything new. But yeah. I could certainly be wrong. I am not a Brian expert. I'm not saying I have nothing to learn about Brian, just that I don't <laughs> trust most biopics to do more than skim the surface. I've seen the actor who's uh, supposedly been cast, to, or who has been cast in, in a couple other things. He's good. And everyone deserves a glow up in their For biopic. Sure. For sure, yeah. Um, but it's I've... been so long, you know, the actor, they might need to recast. Who knows? Yeah, I've seen the pictures too. And the ones of the Beatles are hilarious. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, they they look like, you know what they remind me of? Are those the wax yes from the 60s yep. that's exactly what they look like <laughs> like not even updated ones like the original <laughs> 60s ones with the like yes crazy frankenstein hair and stuff yep when actors heads and faces don't work with the hairstyle of the person they're playing just just do something that does work with their face like don't try to copy the real person's hair exactly if it looks like trash on the actor bad wigs do bother me i have to say i'm shallow enough that they really great on my nerves well they can be distracting from the story so it just depends on what kind of story you're gonna tell and like if i know anything about beatles biopics which i do because i've seen every single one of them <laughs> i have no pride <laughs> i've seen every no standards i don't it's so embarrassing <laughs> actually you haven't seen lennon naked <gasps> that's true i haven't yeah yeah, I don't know yeah. if I can. I don't know if I can do that one. Yeah, I I don't recommend it. I haven't seen um that Birth of the Beatles one or Hours in the Times. Part of me wonders, and I don't think this is the case, unfortunately. But like, it almost makes me wonder. Like, is this a camp? You know, like, is this deliberately low budget and and like campy and silly and janky? I, I would hope, honestly, like it would be better if it was like that. I would love to do, you know what? John Waters should direct Midas Man. That would be amazing. Right? Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. If I if I know anything, I'm gonna guess that this is gonna be very earnest and pseudo-serious, and that won't be in its favor. Ah. But I you know, but also it's a little not cool to dunk on a movie you haven't even seen so it's true yeah you you are being really uncool i know so i'm gonna withhold judgment i will say that if you're looking to find out real information about brian then i would be more excited about vivek tawari's series which yes. is coming to tv soon yeah yeah that will be fascinating yeah that'll be the real deal if you're really looking for like something insightful about brian i kind of don't like the moniker midas man for brian for me if i'm gonna watch something about brian's life i just want to learn about him as a person you know i'd rather just see a human portrait of him rather than mm. not the big shot manager I, who cares yeah i don't need to see like a showbiz drama yes. it's kind of you got what like, it takes baby 
exactly like that's the least interesting angle on the Beatles story right fair so you know but we'll withhold judgment we can't trash a movie we haven't seen might be good yeah okay anonymous asked in her post on paul's birthday patty boyd posted a picture on twitter she took of john watching paul in india while he was occupied filming something else some people including me in my tim hatting ways lol (laughs) think she is trying to start something It's an odd subject for a photo. It's not Paul filming or John relaxing. The subject is John watching Paul and not looking particularly happy. It's never occurred to me before, but why would she take that photo? For all that Ringo and poor George had a front row view. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Their wives from that period also must have seen how close John and Paul were. Given it seems that at least in Beatles fandom, it's kind of true that women have more emotional intelligence. What do you think they were in the position to notice that might have gone over the heads of the other Beatles? Hmm. Let's address the first question first, which is, is Patty trying to start some shit? <laughs> I hope so, but I kind of <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> Me too. Like, she, If she has something to say, she should definitely say it. Yeah, but, but mean, we don't. But she we don't got know. an earful from George. Well, that's what I kind of many think, times. Too. Yeah, I mean, for me, that kind of goes to how much do these do the individual husbands talk to their wives about this shit? So it seems that's to true. me that the most out of the loop is Cynthia. Like, no disrespect to Cynthia, but I think John long since shut her out, and. Yeah she seems the most clueless again i don't mean as a human being or as a intellect or anything i'm just saying about the inner workings of john lives she's she seems the most cut out of the loop through no fault of her own jane it's hard to tell but i think she might know all kinds of shit that she just she's taken to the grave i know bless her this brings up sort of an, a bigger issue for me which is what does george know like he's fully over them over john and paul by 68 yeah but part of me oh this is my tin hat theory maybe i always wonder like did john tell george a bunch of shit in india Mm. because george seems extra disgusted by john and paul post india I mean, something made him write while my guitar gently weeps. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. And then to like call them out by like recording it. I mean, it's pretty, (laughs) it's kind of like the known secret. Yeah. This is vibes only, but like, I feel like George returns with some unwelcome knowledge. Yeah, I, I could see that. Okay, somewhat tangential to that ask is another one about Patty. Anonymous asked, I would like to know your opinion about what Patty Boyd says about John and Paul in India on this video. I found it very interesting. Okay, we will play the relevant soundbite. Just so the viewers know, this is a picture of John and Paul sitting 
side by side in chairs listening to I think the Maharishi is talking about something um and they're there with others in the group like the girlfriends and George and Ringo and whatever um but they're sitting next to each other John has his head turned towards Paul and appears to be looking at him and Paul looks very she's chewing his nail yep, looks like exactly he's chewing on his finger or something so here's what Patty says. There's a photograph I took in India and the Beatles were all writing music for the White Album. And they were all pretty friendly and, you know, it was a very creative time. But I've got one shot of Paul and John sitting together. John is just looking at Paul and Paul is making some sort of face. And I just wish I knew what they'd been saying. But something, something there is something going on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting that she I don't know. I don't I don't find the photo that I mean it doesn't look I wouldn't look at it and go like ooh something's going on. But she was there, so <laughs> so I can have to take her word for it, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to interpret that either. Like I maybe she's just saying like isn't this an interesting photo? It's very dramatic. Yeah, or like someone I or you know knowing them like i think one of them just told told a really funny joke and i wish i knew it's not really clear if she's like something sneaky is going on or there's some tension like are they fighting are they telling a joke like i don't really get a vibe any which way agreed and not to be a buzzkill <laughs> But I'm not even sure in that. Like, I think maybe Paul's just listening to the Maharishi. Yeah, I, like, I agree. There might not be anything going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know that they're looking at each other. And also, like, if even if John's looking at Paul, like, so what? He's always so what, looking yeah. at Paul. Let's not. That doesn't mean anything. You know, we did sort of float the question of like, does Patty know something? Like, if George knows something, does that mean Patty knows something? Actually, it's funny. I was looking through um, the Hunter Davies book yesterday, I think. And Hunter even writes specifically that, in his opinion, at least, George and Patty have the most equal of mm -hmm. marriages. Like, yeah. they, they're the closest and they have the most shit in common. And they communicate, I guess. Mm-hmm was his point so yeah. i mean we all know that like towards the end their marriage was awful but yeah so i'm not saying they had even had the best marriage but i'm saying at least at that time and also their marriage is falling apart like the next year so you yeah. know whatever i still just uh, vibes only i think they would be the most likely to like yeah. like gossip together <laughs> well and yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, and um, it's not as fraught for George to talk about John and Paul to Patty as it would be for oh yeah Paul to talk about John and Paul to Jane. Exactly. Or to like, that's John very to different. Sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John and Yoko are huge gossips, but that's different because that because Yoko is an escape valve from John and Paul. So right. she just she just is. She just has a different role to play. Oh, yeah. That whole yeah. nonsense mystery train freak show horror movie night yeah yeah 
Oh, I think she knows everything. I think John spilled everything. To Yoko. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. really do. Oh yeah. And she knows all kinds. How could he how could he sit on that to her? She knows stuff from Janov also. Like I think Janov mm-hmm. knows some things. I mean, I think Yoko knows more than Janov does. And also I, I think agree. Janov's kind of clueless. Like he doesn't he knows, but he doesn't really know. He doesn't know any of those people in John's yeah. life. Yoko knows them all a little bit, except Brian. All right, so, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really agnostic about that quote from Patty. Yeah, same. Whether she's saying something or just ain't not. saying something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anonymous asked, "Hi, big fan of the podcast here, and just wanted to get your Thank thoughts you. on something. <laughs> you've talked about India quite a lot. Sorry if this is something you've mentioned and I've missed." But I only recently discovered this quote, which is apparently something, oh, yes, something Mick Jagger said. (laughs) Good old Mick. (laughs) Oh, Mick. I know what's coming. Uh, Something Mick Jagger said. It's from Christopher Isherwood's diaries called The Sixties. Quoting quoting from that book. He told me with amusement that the real reason why the Beatles left the Maharishi was that he made a pass at one of them. Mick is quoted as saying, they're simple North Country lads. They're terribly uptight about all that. <laughs> Christopher Isherwood concludes, I'm still not sure if I believe this story. <laughs> <laughs> Anonymous continues, if it was either Paul or John, that could explain John's extreme rage at the Maharishi. It always seemed a little out of character to me. And the communication breakdown slash tension during or after the trip. Their reactions and supportiveness, or lack thereof, in that situation could bring up a minefield of issues between them. Mm. Of course, we'll never know, and it's all just speculation, but I think it's interesting to consider. So for the sake of this question, let's just assume that it's true. Okay. Just for the sake of conversation. Okay. Number one, if this is true, it means that one of the Beatles told mick jagger so that's question number Mm. one who would tell him such a thing (laughs) the only one who would tell him is john paul's definitely not telling him that yeah who's who's gossiping with mick jagger john (laughs) obviously right yes okay so would john tell mick the maharishi made a pass at me oh my god i had to leave i turned my back on him then or would he say that motherfucker made a pass at Paul? Uh, he might. Either way, I guess he could. Either way, that's true. Mm-hmm. But here's the reason why I think, assuming that Mick said this and it, it was you know related as it happened, uh-huh. this is why I think it's Paul. Because he says they're simple North Country lads. They're terribly uptight about all that. So I think he's talking about Paul there. Mm. And and I'm I'm saying that because um Andrew Oldham says the same thing. That remember he tells some really dumb no, story. I don't remember this. Yeah, he tells this goofball story in his book about Paul being over at the house, I guess Mick's house, I don't know, somebody's house. And uh-huh. Mick and oldham and somebody else were all like lip syncing to like girl groups he compared it to like priscilla (laughs) queen of the desert or something yeah excellent 
is that like Paul was very uncomfortable and he attributed that to like <laughs> Paul being uncomfortable because these men were being gay. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, okay. Or maybe you were just being embarrassing. I don't embarrassing? know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or maybe both. Or maybe, or maybe you're right. Maybe Paul was an uptight straight guy who was scandalized by watching men lip sync. Yeah. That or it be. just he doesn't know how to react. It just makes him uncomfortable. Or maybe he was having the horrors about something unrelated. <laughs> yeah. That's why I tend to think that that's about. But it could be about John, too. I don't know. Maybe John yeah. was was terribly uptight about gay stuff also. Well. From Mick's point or, of view? Or from Mick's point of view. that, I mean, maybe John was angry about it because he felt used or betrayed or just like you're supposed to be my guru but why he said the real reason why the Beatles left the maharishi which is also confusing because they left at different times so yeah. you would think it would be the reason that john and george left is what he's talking about which makes For less sense sure that it was about paul unless because remember how it was supposed the the cover story is that john found out that he had made a pass at a girl in the camp and that's why he got mad and yes. left but he could have found out that he had actually made a pass at Paul and then he got mad and left. Although, again, I'm not sure why that would enrage John so much, but. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know, unless it's just sort of a general, you know, hypocrisy. If Maharishi is telling them to, you know, suppress the appetites of the flesh as part of their spiritual journey and then he's making passes at his students well it's pretty uncool that's what a lot of religious leaders do yeah Um, it's kind of the whole reason to get into it in the first place for a lot of people yeah what's funniest to me is that nobody's chased this theory down like i know right (laughs) mick jagger's right there yes holy shit if you're you're listening yeah we gotta get mick on the show we gotta get mick on the show he'd do it i'm sure oh my god that would be amazing i would definitely love to have mick on the show sir i would love to ask him about yoko in the 70s (laughs) be like please explain what was going on there mick can you please come on the show and just talk to us about all the random beetle questions we have yes that would be fabulous yes please okay open invitation if anybody knows try to hook it up here if you want to use the space to get back at Paul for whatever dumb thing he said about Beatles being better than the Stones, this is your chance. Anonymous asks, hello again. Well, hello, Anonymous. Again, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just listened to your Q&A episode. Entertaining and informative, as always. Oh, thank you. And wanted to weigh in with some personal experience that may be relevant. Re your discussion of John's feelings of responsibility toward his widowed father versus John's ability to do as he pleased. My father died when I was 17, leaving me, as eldest of two sons, feeling responsible for my mother and brother. I know during that time, and well into adulthood, my friends with two living parents, it seemed to me, had the ability, license to do as they pleased without having to consider family members as I did. 
so I can imagine John's statements along the lines of, tell your old man to fuck off, would have given Paul tremendous internal conflict. I really feel for teenage Paul in this respect. Oh. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Anon. I mean, John isn't exactly someone with two living parents at home. So oh. I don't think that's why he has sort of that different experience of feeling more licensed to do as he pleases. He did say after Julia died, fuck it, I've got no responsibility to anyone now. Yep. Which is not to say, you know, I don't want to completely discount uh, John's sense of responsibility to Mimi. I'm sure he did hmm. feel some sort of responsibility towards her. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it's not the same. But yeah, I definitely, I mean, for a host of reasons, John's, hey, just tell him to fuck off, don't take that from him, was probably not particularly helpful to Paul. Like, you know, John's not, he's not in that relationship. And it was a complicated relationship. So, yeah, I, I really feel for teenage Paul as well. Yeah, massively. Yeah. Anonymous asked, I have a theory as to why John called Paul his estranged fiancé. The question in John's mind was never about rebooting the Beatles. It was always really about carrying through the promise that in John's mind, Paul never committed to. The pure songwriting partnership of Lennon and McCartney. From the family way on, John never saw Paul as fully committed to that marriage. Like in that way, the Lennon-McCartney partnership was a myth. He was in the marriage of the Beatles, but never got to be in a pure marriage of Lennon-McCartney. It fits with John wanting to escape Beatle John, but still wanting a partnership with Paul. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Even could fit with the occasional trio of Yoko, Paul, and John. The tragedy was that the Beatles marriage and the Lennon-McCartney marriage was one and the same for Paul. Whereas with John, it was only a potential marriage that never came to pass and which Paul neglected and ultimately rejected in the McCartney One press release. They had originally had a plan for when the bubble burst. Oh my God, they did. That's true. They did. Yep. And in one particular interview... Paul fumbled on that question, saying it seems that he didn't want things to become stale for the public. And John interjected, and Paul and John will continue writing songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. From 1964. Ahem, <laughs> I have your cue card ready, Paul. Exactly. And I love Sweet. John and will stay with him forever. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> I could see it. I could see John thinking, well, yeah, Paul, the Beatles are going to be over, but when once you pull your head out of your ass and get back here, we can be <laughs> Lennon and McCartney, Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, Gershwin and Gershwin, writing songs for other people. Or if you must sing them, you can sing them instead. I'm just saying I could see that happening in John's rat maze of a brain. Yeah, I agree with that. And in terms of being Lennon-McCartney without the Beatles, I think Paul was down for that in 76. Oh, yeah, I agree, too. I don't think Paul had any interest in reforming the Beatles. It was only, it was just about Paul. It was about John and Paul. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that's why he reached out to John after they finally got the signatures on that damn thing. I think, yeah, I think Paul might have definitely been open to a vowel renewal ceremony with just him and John. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they could have been friends with benefits for a while just to test the waters, you know. Yeah, I think he, I think he, I think he definitely would have worked with John again. I mean, uh, as always, the ongoing mystery is like, well, if they both wanted it, why did it not happen? So, yeah. Let me tell you something. Okay. Even if two people want it, (laughs) love isn't always enough. Yes, there are. Yeah, there are plenty of perfectly good reasons why you can't have something. Of course. Yeah, they were star-crossed to a certain degree. Yeah. I wonder if that's, like, both frustrating to them, but also a comfort to them. Mm. Yeah, to be like, it wasn't, you know, there were circumstances beyond our control. Yeah. And also, it's tragedy is super romantic, so just sort of um, enriches the romance to be star-crossed. Maybe. Well, I hope so, because that would be something <laughs> for them. Yeah. Yeah. This is such yeah. a good one. Okay. Anonymous asked, Ooh. Hi, lovely Acom peeps. I have a question for your next mailbag, if I may. Ta-da! <laughs> Ta-da! This, the next one is this one. My question is, why do you think is the reason for Paul talking about how badly things ended between John and George. Yeah. I believe he's done this more than once. Yes, he has. He has. It seems insensitive to me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) Especially in the context of Paul saying that if he and John hadn't mended things, quote, it would have been the worst thing in the world, unquote, and he'd never have gotten over it, etc. But I've also seen talk about Paul projecting onto George, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Thank you. Great question. Yeah, it's definitely uncool. Yes. If Paul does this, he need, needs to stop. I don't know that he's done it recently. It's not okay. I think this definitely was like a 1980s tick. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe somebody was like, Paul, stop doing that. Yeah, Maybe, that's Maybe really... George was like, could you not for sure i mean or he just pulled his head out of his ass one day and was yeah like, maybe i was like, don't do that maybe anymore. yeah maybe i don't like it when people say that john and i maybe that means george doesn't like it either well exactly yeah i mean i can kind of i can almost see though him thinking he's because because he usually frames it in the like in the sense of like you know and i know that they still loved each other like i know that it it was just mm. bad timing you know and that they would say you know if they knew that it was the last time that they would tell each other they loved each other yeah um, so so it's just really unfortunate so i i can see maybe paul thinking it was okay to say that because he's putting that caveat on it but no just no or he might be fucking with george consciously or subconsciously he might i'm sure he has resentment toward george uh, basically yes i agree with that if i were to challenge myself 
to give Paul the benefit of the doubt on this one, mm. I, I guess I could see where he there's no malicious intent or passive aggressive intent, you know, mm. and he's just using it as an example, you know, that he <laughs> feels is a harmless example. Mm. Well, and I, also <laughs> like a way for him to say not for nothing but john fucked up a lot of his relationships yep and like it, this is hardly just a me problem like he did this to most of the people in his life so you know some of the lucky few got to go out on a high note some people mm -hmm. went out on a low note some people went out on a mixed note which is kind of more like probably where john and paul are i mean mm -hmm. to be perfectly frank i think even if even if their last conversation was positive, it still would have been a mixed note. Absolutely. Of because course. Number one, John and Paul are always up and down. They're both super insecure. There's no way, like if the roles were reversed too, John would be just as batshit about where he stood with Paul. And Oh, you know. God, yes. And to be perfectly frank, like true resolution for them involves like a Therapy? weekend alone locked in a hotel room for a weekend at the minimum you know like as a starting yeah. point they got things that they haven't even begun to work out so no matter what it was going to be unresolved mm -hmm. yeah and maybe it's kind of paul's way i mean maybe he's maybe george's collateral damage here he's just he's trying to put the message out there like yeah, I'm not the only Beatle that yeah. John had a messy end with. Maybe you could go harass someone else with these questions. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. For sure. For just, sure. Just trying to spread the Yeah. You know, offload some of that burden. Yes. Um, I have like, some sympathy for like those feelings, but again, it's just not cool. Like, don't well, and that's the best case scenario. <laughs> yeah. That's giving him the most benefit of the doubt. If we're not giving him the benefit of the doubt, then he's just being a dick. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, twisting the knife a bit. Yeah, he's just going, fuck you, George. You're so, yeah. such an asshole from, you know, 69 through the early 70s when you guys ganged up on me in public and wrote nasty songs about me and you guys are supposed to be the best friends in the world. And I'm on the outside, you know, I'm the mm. uncool beetle, but the three of you are best friends. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. How'd that end up for you? Is it shocking that Paul has some residual resentment about that? Of course not. Oh, he, he, he must, he must how, have. How could he not? How could yeah. he not? So this would just be like a passive aggressive way of, of getting that out and yes as far as the projecting onto george uh, paul and john both do that yes they, they're they, the worst they are the worst they're they awful. project their issues onto george no wonder he hated them so much <laughs> oh okay here i found part of that uh transcript here it is he said about this one um you always think, well, I'm saving it up. I'll tell them one day. And what happens with a lot of people, with John, for instance, getting back to that subject, he died. Um, I was lucky. For the last few months he was alive, we managed to get our relationship back on track. We were talking. We were having really nice conversations, real nice and friendly. 
George actually um, didn't, I don't think, get his relationship right. I think they were arguing right up to the end, which I think is a great source of sadness to him. And I'm sure in the feeling of this song that George was always planning to tell John he loved him, but time ran out. So that's what the song is about. Paul, (laughs) you need to be in projection jail for that. Yeah, right? That is some grade A projection. Buddy, sit down on the couch right now. I can't believe you said that on TV. I know. I know, right? Stop. Yeah, it's it's not good. And it's also transparent. Like, literally everybody who watches that is like, what, Paul? You did You did not write a song about how sad you are that George didn't get to tell Johnny. I'm like, stop. Oh. But yeah, I could definitely see George being like, take my fucking name out of your mouth, Paul. Out of your mouth, please. Yeah. What but but Paul might turn around and be like, I'll, I will when you do. Well, yeah, fair enough. But in any case, it's not cool. He eventually stopped doing it. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. he won't do it again. Also, and also not for nothing, but I don't think John and George were arguing, were they? Well, they weren't speaking. They weren't speaking. So, but yeah, but that's more to me like a Cold War. I suppose. I mean, I, you know, tomato, tomato. Well, maybe George, I'm... George was, I mean, um, John was arguing in public, like he publicly said whatever god-awful thing he said i taught that kid everything he knows and he didn't yeah. mention me in his book that's true he did say oh, some shitty shitty stuff he used to follow me around like a puppy oh my god also george does mention john in the book well not enough i guess john <laughs> dear god yeah so by the way paul is not the only passive aggressive beetle just to put that to bed too oh John gets his feelings hurt that George isn't reverential enough to him in his book, so he like says nasty things about him in public. Such an asshole. (laughs) Imagine. I'm done with this band. (laughs) All a bunch of dicks. They are they're so childish with each other. It's like you guys just shut up and say you love each other. God, you all love each other. Stop. Yeah. Anonymous asked, post-breakup John talked trash about so many Beatle tracks, saying the production was terrible. How sincere was his dislike, do you believe? Lucy in the Sky and Strawberry Fields Forever. I know he liked Walrus, but Strawberry Fields he seems to have disliked soon after recording, and in Get Back complained to Paul that, quote, for a while there, no one could say anything about your arrangements, unquote. And he made special mention of Strawberry Fields. He also said, quote, when you've been right, you were right. And when you've been wrong, you've been wrong, unquote. So his dislike of Strawberry Fields production seems sincere, if unfair, and blamed on Paul. Ugh. (laughs) I guess I am asking how sincerely and steadfastly did he dislike Paul's contributions to his other songs? How much did other factors play a role here? If he wanted extra takes, why didn't he ask for more? Was he that scared of Paul? These are the types of thoughts that plague my mind. <laughs> Love your podcast. Oh, thank you, Anon. Thank you. 
this is a great topic and a great question. Um, so there's a there's kind of a few things folded into here, but let's talk about strawberry fields first, since you made special mention of that one. So the production has almost nothing to do with Paul. So blaming Paul for it is just misplaced. George Martin very much produced all the versions of Strawberry Fields. Yeah. And George Martin took John's criticisms of Strawberry Fields production very personally. <laughs> like mm -hmm. very yeah. personally. He felt very responsible for it. Both in a defensive way and also in a oh, I just feel bad that I didn't give him what he wanted kind of way. Yeah, apparently. Maybe John felt like Paul has a better way of articulating this in music sure. terms that yeah. I, maybe I don't speak quite the same language that those two do. So mm -hmm. if Paul knows what I'm trying to say, maybe he can help me out. Maybe he feels like Paul didn't step in and do that. Although that kind of undermines his argument that, Paul stepped in too much and direct, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. John, you can't criticize somebody for both interfering too much and not enough, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. what's Paul going to do? So this is from George Martin's Summer of Love book. He's, he's describing when John brought in Strawberry Fields to him, that wonderfully distinctive voice had a slight tremor a unique nasal quality that gave his song poignancy, almost a feeling of luminescence. I was spellbound. I was in love. Okay, he he loves this song, right? Yeah, yeah. So does Paul. So does Paul. So does John. Like, everybody respects his song. Okay. What do you reckon, asked John, quite nervously once he had come to a stop. John was never one for too much praise, but he could tell that I really liked the song even before I spoke. Lamely, I replied, it's great, John. That's a really great song. How do you want to do it? I thought you were supposed to tell me that, he flipped back at me laughing. In truth, I wish now that I had told him I would have taken the song just as I heard it. Oh, how I wish I had caught that very first run through on tape and released it. Mm. Yeah. Strawberry Fields Forever was gentle, dreamy, uncharacteristic of John then. He had broken through into different territory to a place I did not really recognize from his past songs. There had been a hint of it, perhaps, in Tomorrow Never Knows, but this. Okay, and then he goes on, gives a little background about the song. Okay, so they, they started recording on November 24th. No arrangement had been written for the song. The four Beatles sat down to work in work it out in the studio as they went along. John had sketched out the basic structure. We'll start straight in with the verse, no intro, follow with the chorus, then back for another verse and so on. Right, John. John wanted to keep his acoustic guitar for this session, so Paul took over the Mellotron. Almost immediately, we arrived at a take that we thought would be the final one. That first take is brilliant, especially John's vocal. Clear, pure, and riveting. As he sang it that night, the song became hypnotic, gentle and wistful, but very strong too. his sparse vocal standing in sharp contrast to the full sound of George's electric guitar, Paul's imaginative Mellotron, and Ringo's magnificent drums. Okay, great first take, okay? Typically, John asked for a speed change on his vocal <laughs> recording. I thought his voice was one of the all-time greats, but he was always asking me to distort it or bend it in some way to improve, air quotes, 
it as he thought. So when we overdubbed his vocal, we pumped up the tape frequency to 53 hertz instead of the normal 50. On playback at normal speed, the change lowered his voice by a semitone, making it sound warmer and huskier. Okay. So um, they keep working on it. We were all elated. Okay, the new tape with a few more vocals and instrumental frills on it was number take seven. And there we had it, the Strawberry Fields Forever Master. We were all elated and we left the studios early at about eight in the evening after completing a mono mix of what I took to be the finished song. The boys each took an acetate demo of our remix. There was one small thing. John came to me a week later and said he still wasn't entirely happy with what we had done. The song kept eluding him. He could hear what he wanted in his head, but he couldn't make it real. We had never remade a song from scratch before, as he now wanted to. But I was so determined to get to the truth of Strawberry Fields Forever to the song John knew was there inside him, struggling to get out as he was himself. What would he do with it? His suggestion surprised me. I still had that early simplicity in mind, but he wanted to use strings and brass and would I score them for him? Okay. Hmm. So then um, they record it. Neil Aspinall is playing a gourd scraper. Mal Evans, a tambourine. <laughs> Terry Doran has maracas. Somebody's got finger symbols. <laughs> Above it all, Ringo was struggling manfully to keep the cacophony together with his regular drum kit. <laughs> story of his life struggling manfully <laughs> all right um towards the end everyone was yelling or whooping john can clearly be heard chanting very slowly and in time to the rough and ready beat cranberry sauce <laughs> why cranberry sauce why not it was coming up to christmas <laughs> john discovered a way of making the mellotron play not just one but a whole random sequence of notes which gives strawberry field another marvelous touch of madness towards the end paul then came up with an inspired piece of ringing lead guitar work that rounded the song off brilliantly meanwhile i had to do the instrumental accompaniment john had requested i booked in four trumpet players and three cellists he overdubs that okay john had long since dismissed the original statement of the song on take one and was now torn between the slow contemplative version and the frantic percussive powerhouse cello and brass arrangement of take 20 ever the idealist and completely without regard for practical problems john said to me i like them both why don't we join them together you could start with take seven and move to take 20 halfway through to get the grandstand finish brilliant i replied there's only two things wrong with that the takes are in completely different keys a whole tone apart and they have wildly different tempos other than that there should be no problem <laughs> John smiled at my sarcasm with the tolerance of a grown-up placating a child. Well, George, he said laconically, I'm sure you can fix it, can't you? Whereupon he turned on his heel and walked away. <laughs> I looked over at, George, at Jeff Emmerich and groaned. <laughs> Many years later, John and I were sitting in the kitchen of his apartment in the Dakota building in New York, mulling over past glories like a pair of old codgers. John suddenly looked up at me. You know what, George? He said, if I had the chance, I'd re-record. I'd record everything we did again. What? I replied. Even Strawberry Fields Forever? Especially Strawberry Fields Forever, he said. Most of what the Beatles did was rubbish. 
it shocked me for john the vision was always better than the reality everything inside him was greater than its expression in the outside world that was his life he's never satisfied <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that was long but that's my response to strawberry fields forever i mean i feel for john because mm -hmm. he feels this is one of his masterpieces which most would agree and mm -hmm. it didn't come out the way that he wanted yeah so that's an awful feeling like i you know i feel for him yeah and it probably doesn't make it better that it became so venerated for the production i know what you're saying for john that for might john feel for john personal like yes yeah. like it takes away from his songwriting or something which i definitely don't like i really do feel like it is venerated for the song itself yes but i could see through his insecurity how he might feel that way mm -hmm. even though it's one of the most absolutely beloved beatles songs so it's like but but that's kind of like saying well what's the difference paul like the long and winding road sounds fine to me yeah totally yeah you know it didn't come out the way he liked it it's fine um although in this case it wasn't nobody hijacked john's <laughs> tapes and, and right. conducted a secret orchestra and imposed it on and then refused to take it off yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um whatever that's another story i also feel bad for george martin because he clearly wanted to give john something that made him happy yes number one it's kind of insulting to tell the producer of the beatles like yeah it was all garbage <laughs> like you sucked at your job like yeah I'm sure i wish we could reproduce everything up to me i would have gotten a different producer like i understand how just on an ego level he's gonna be like wow well very kindly fuck you john lennon yeah right but at the same time i'm sure it just hurts his feelings because he wants to make john of happy. course of course and he loved the song all that said none of that had to do with paul you know again i think just sometimes paul's just a dumping ground for john's you know unmet expectations and disappointments and yeah. things not living up to his imagination you know the reality being less awesome than the fantasy yeah well if paul is a master of turning fantasy into reality then yeah you, you can kind of see it i mean john has a very high opinion of paul's talents and power so well and i think maybe john's perspective is like so how is it that like all paul's songs came out exactly as he wanted yeah if he yeah. has the power to make that happen oh. why can't he make my songs come out the way i want them oh because he can't hear what's in your head john the right. way he can hear what's in his head john might hear me say that and go oh, that's ridiculous you don't understand anything <laughs> yeah, right of course Paul he can lives in here <laughs> and if he, he wanted to himself into my head <laughs> every day so to bring paul into it here's here's what john said in the 1980 playboy interview about strawberry fields he starts off talking about across the universe and then mm. says I think subconsciously, sometimes we, I say we, though I think Paul did it more than the rest of us, Paul would sort of subconsciously try and destroy a great song 
He subconsciously tried to destroy songs, meaning that we'd play experimental games with migrate pieces like Strawberry Fields, which I always felt was badly recorded. That song got away with it, and it worked, but usually we'd spend hours doing little detailed cleaning ups of Paul's songs. When it came to mine, especially if it was a great song like Strawberry Fields or Across the Universe, somehow this atmosphere of looseness and casualness and experimentation would creep in. Subconscious sabotage. He'll deny it, because he's got a bland face, and he'll say the sabotage doesn't exist. But this is the kind of thing I'm talking about, where I was always seeing what was going on. I begin to think, well, maybe I'm paranoid. But it's not paranoid. It's absolute truth. So, to be perfectly honest, I think John's hurt and dissatisfaction and anger and everything i think it has more to do with john than it does with george martin or paul yeah agree well and also the proof that he offers is that they would experiment on john's songs but how is that sabotage like that's literally trial and error trying to find what you want yeah if he'd been able to express exactly what he wanted i'm sure they would they would have gone with that but if john can't express it then the only way for them to try to find it is to experiment well the two things are kind of not connecting so paul has a song that he the way he wants it and so he spends the extra time getting it perfectly the way that he wants it like that has nothing to do with how they're approaching John's songs. It's like, John, if you, did you say this is how I want this guitar part to go and we're going to mm-hmm. stay here until we get it right? Did anybody ever refuse to do that? Like, what are you talking about? Or if you got frustrated that it wasn't coming out the way you wanted to, like literally the only option is to try it a different way. Exactly. Exactly. And say, well, how about this? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not, I I agree. It's not fair to just dismiss everything John says, like, oh, he's just being crazy. That's old John no, I, he's just being paranoid. But like this one literally doesn't make sense. I'm sure his dissatisfaction was real, but I think if I think he's placing blame where it doesn't belong to whatever degree this was, you know, a failure on anyone's part it was equally john was equally to blame because he didn't tell them what he wanted he didn't he didn't make it happen either yeah and i think maybe what he's trying to say underneath this is that i didn't feel supported yeah was he scared of paul yeah i think a little probably yeah or at least i mean if not scared just like i don't want to get into it today and across the universe, that's especially contentious because which across the universe are you talking about? Are you talking yes, about the there are many. the first one that comes right before they go to India? If you're talking about the get back era where they try it again, that's also difficult because like you're literally telling Paul to back off in yep. terms of arrangement. Yep. Like, what is he supposed to do? it's looseness and experimentation because 
you've told him like don't take my song over don't try to arrange my song i'll exactly. arrange it so yes baby doll you have got to pick uh, elaine you can't blame paul for everything in your life right. <laughs> so that's what i have to say about that what a bet <laughs> i can <laughs> and i will and i did so those are like two specific examples in terms of like how sincerely and steadfastly did he dislike Paul's contributions to his other songs? That one again is harder to tell, but I, I think it's valid. Like, I think there probably were a couple of things that John may have not wanted that Paul contributed. I don't know what yeah. they are offhand. I mean, it's hard to criticize Beatles music because it's pretty awesome. I mean, I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, me too. What's what a coincidence i'm never like paul shouldn't have sung that harmony it's terrible you know yeah but like one of the things he complains about is help yeah now again is it paul's fault that they turned that into a single i mean uh, you know that's putting a lot of power in paul's hands well, wasn't it george martin who said you got to make this faster to turn it into a single i'm sure it was but is John expressing that sometimes he was pressured in a certain direction? Uh, you know, that might be a valid complaint. Is it Paul's fault? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Might it be a valid complaint about his time in the Beatles? Sure. Yes, I'm sure the Beatles were pressured in a lot of ways to do things that... Certainly. You know, By whatever. multiple factors, yeah. And he could have been pressuring himself. Of course. I mean, he likes well, number ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that so again, I think there might be some frustration at himself that he's displacing onto yes. George Martin and Paul. Um, well, and the other thing is that I'm sure Paul was sometimes pressured to do things a different way, but he refused. Yeah, and he gets criticism for that, so it's kind of you know. Yeah, that's true. You know, if you respond to pressure because you don't want have the confrontation or whatever yeah that's true you know that that's a valid complaint but the flip side of that is that if if you do dig your heels in you're gonna get cast criticism the, for that yeah so you know your cast is the problem child yeah, yeah. that's the trade-off you know if you're gonna exactly. get that's you, the trade-off exactly <laughs> you're, if you're gonna, gonna get hold what you out, want yep you're gonna hold out for exactly what you want not everyone's gonna like that yeah so there also might be some resentment that paul got what he wanted and john didn't and he's mad at himself and he's taking that on paul too yeah <laughs> but having said that like yeah i definitely think there are some things that that john didn't care for like maxwell silverhammer or that you know there was <laughs> this is one time i love it so much because it's it's a like true it's also just so unnecessary bitchy he was talking about give peace a chance and he's like it, it was me and yoko it wasn't even me and paul i shouldn't even put his name on it he's like if paul was involved with give peace a chance he would have put horns on it made it <laughs> <a single." laughs> like okay john you got him there yeah yeah you're not wrong so yes, do I think they had different sensibilities and tastes sometimes? For sure. Of course. Not nearly as much as <laughs> John liked to portray towards the end. Some of that is PR. 
and some of that is is genuine i think in my opinion anonymous asked do you think john was angry with paul because he purchased the farm in scotland paul wouldn't move with the beatles to the greek island or to surrey because he wanted to stay in the city but he was fine moving out of the city with linda maybe that made john feel as if paul wanted to be away from him yeah maybe yeah and we talked about that a little bit in mistake episode one Mm -hmm. you know the classic like you break up with someone because they don't want kids and then Mm -hmm. as soon as you break up they date someone new and get pregnant or or get someone pregnant or you know exactly it's a it's gonna feel like a fuck you even if it's not personal um it's like oh it's not that you want didn't want to you know it's not that you didn't want to country you You just just didn't didn't want want to do it with me yeah Mm -hmm. exactly yeah Yeah, that hurts and i mean you could you could flip it around too because john spent the rest of his life in the city yeah which was not his dream (laughs) no so paul might be like oh you're a city guy now uh sure whatever john Mm -hmm. so by the way i think that probably went both ways not that we can prove it in either in either way (laughs) not at all because neither of them ever said anything although although john did say that within two years he expected paul to have divorced linda and to be living in new york city well then he was like so that's and to be have signed on with claim it's kind of sad how many predictions john made that just did not come true yeah and the in the the confidence with which he made them (laughs) (laughs) and a few minutes later he's like he's not gonna make it up (laughs) <laughs> he's gonna get too bored it's like actually he's not i think he just lowered his anxiety a, a bit yep because here's yep. the thing paul can write songs in a shed Anywhere. yeah <laughs> if he's not writing a song he can paint or he can write a fucking poem or play with a dog or, or build, build a the table, table. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's actually fine yeah and when he gets tired of all that, he can come back in the city and and live like mm-hmm. a rich rock star. Yeah. So Which is best what of he both does. worlds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for the rest of time. Yeah, Whenever right. He takes the best of both worlds. Yeah. Sounds like he's got all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Anonymous asked, did anyone ever tell Paul they didn't want Maxwell Silver Hammer on the album? if not why not why would they complain about having it on after the fact and if they didn't tell paul was he somehow supposed to guess (laughs) (laughs) did he know that actually none of the others Uh, wanted it on the album that's a great question anon that is a great question i don't think they would have had to have told him in words for him to get the message i agree with that I think that they were like, surely he knew we didn't like it. But I think that kind of created probably an atmosphere of like, we're not going to come out and say you don't like it. And Paul's like, well, then I'm not going to come out and leave it off the album. It will totally. Yeah. In fact, if I want, if I want to get a perfect, I will hold you to that. If I have to listen to Yoko's comments in the studio, Mm. then you guys are going to work overtime on the song you don't like. How about that? (laughs) <laughs> bang bang bitch 
(laughs) (laughs) Don't look behind you. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about Maxwell. I've voiced before. I'm not going to reiterate all of them again. Um, I doubt anybody actually objected to it. But there was probably eye rolling. And uh, really, again? Yeah, Paul's probably like, yeah, really, again. That's his attitude in in the quote where he's like, yeah, the others were mad because we spent two and a half days on it. Big deal. Anonymous asked, Hi, Akon. I am obsessed with your podcast. Yay. By far the best one I have found. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for all the research and hard work. Oh, thank you, Anon. Thank You're you. Okay. Question. Really kind of multiple questions about Jane and Paul. Uh, there is so little about their relationship in Beatles books and across the Beatles fandom. Obviously, Jane did not talk post-breakup. She has kept their story to herself, which is certainly her prerogative. But Paul McCartney is one of the most famous men to ever walk the planet. They dated when Beatlemania took off worldwide and when the Beatles themselves and their music transformed modern culture. They were together five years, and that is five of the most important, crazy, life-changing years of Paul's life, of which she and her family played a huge role in his life. Her story is extremely important to the story of Paul McCartney. Here is the big question. Did Paul break up with Jane? I say yes. It is just too much of a coincidence that Paul finally spent quality time with Linda in June 68, the dirty weekend. And a month or a bit more later, July 68, Jane and Paul break up. The story I read from the Meet the Beatles site and the Beatles Bible seemed consistent from one of these women who claimed to have worked at Apple. And it's that Paul broke it off with Jane. He gave Jane the I met somebody breakup speech. The day everyone points to as the catalyst for the breakup was really Jane coming to Cavendish to collect her things. Yes, she did catch him with Francie and Jane was upset to find him with this other girl and left abruptly. Her mother then shows up shortly after to finish packing up her things. To me, it makes sense that if he broke it off with her to be with Linda, Paul was okay with the way she publicly announced the breakup the way she did and why he has never commented or addressed it. That's a great point. It also would be embarrassing to her to be the girl in his life for five years, finally engaged, and less than a year after that engagement, dumped for another woman. I know I would not want that story made public, especially in that he ended up marrying a pregnant Linda less than a year after a long-term relationship (laughs) with Jane. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I know there are plenty of stories about how Paul was crying and distraught over the breakup, and I am sure that is all true. He loved her very much, and he loved her family. They all played a huge role in his life. Maybe he had regrets and second thoughts about breaking it off and or being with Linda. I just think there has to be much more to this than she just popped in one day and found him in bed with a girl and that was that. If it really went down this way, it might help explain her decision to keep it all to herself for 60 plus years. True. I also find it odd that there are virtually no stories or comments about their breakup from the Beatles circle, of which Jane was a huge part of what they thought of the breakup. I am still holding out hope that Jane will eventually tell her story. Maybe there is a book (laughs) waiting in the wings, but I think we will never really know. 
thank you, ACOM. Keep up the great work. We need you out here in Beetleland. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. That's very interesting ask. Yeah, very intriguing theory. Honestly, I feel kind of embarrassed that I've never considered this before. Like, I never <laughs> really thought about it like that. Your theory makes absolute sense. This is a plausible alternative possibility. I think Paul knew it wasn't meant to be. Like, it wasn't what he really wanted. It wasn't really going where he wanted to go. Yeah, he had reservations yeah. of some kind for some reason. And sometimes, I mean, I've seen this happen to couples before. Sometimes you get engaged and you think maybe things will change. Like, maybe I'll finally mm -hmm. feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Um, yeah. Well, and if everyone expects it and, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're such a great couple. And then, like, as things get closer, you just have a visceral, like, no, no. You yeah. Know, like, just don't do it. And so... Yeah, totally makes sense that he, if he broke up with her, that he certainly wasn't going to say anything. If she announced it on TV, he's going to be like, okay, that's fine. That's her right, you know. Yeah. That yeah. She's, she's allowed that. For sure. And he's never said anything bad about her anyway. As far as we know, like, I've never heard anything bitter or vengeful towards her from him no ever i mean i think he just has massive respect for her and loved her and never badmouthed her yeah so i think he would just let her have that that kind of does make more sense of that goofball francie schwartz story of like if paul knew that she was coming over that day he might have had francie there to to sort of make sure that they don't get sucked into a conversation you know he might have done that mm. to avoid talking to jane again or to avoid yeah. like them getting back together yeah i mean it's kind of a <laughs> yep still trash he might be saying oh yeah 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 look at me exactly yeah yeah I, i'm not gonna change thoughts. yes yeah, yeah exactly i'm definitely still garbage right right you're doing the right thing, Jane. <laughs> Just yeah. remember that I'm trash. Yeah. 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 For sure. Not out of like a noble thing necessarily. No, but no, just no. Just to like make sure it's done. Make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. And he probably, and to make sure that he doesn't get sucked back in as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, this makes a lot of sense to me, honestly. A lot of sense. Yeah. The idea that Jane broke up with him because she found him in bed with some girl doesn't make any sense because she's caught him cheating like 55 times well unless he said yes i promise that's it, it, i won't do it again maybe but but it, i've always thought it was weird like she doesn't have to catch them in bed together for her to know that he's cheating like she could have just walked in and francie's in the kitchen in a nightgown like yeah you know what i mean like i've always thought the idea that well, he, <laughs> she like had... opened the door and they were humping on the bed like in front of her very eyes like i <laughs> yeah exactly she's like oh my god i didn't know you had sex with these women i thought they just hung around the house <laughs> and half naked yeah i thought that was just aesthetic 
what's uh, what's always confusing to me is so paul keeps linda's number for a, a full year and calls mm. her up when in 1968 and is like developing this relationship if he's going to get married what is his end game there i mean it's not like oh i'm gonna be in new york can i have a groupie or two you know like mm -hmm. so, a disposable whatever yeah that i can understand you're on a weekend thing but like what is what is he doing what was his long-term plan is what i'm saying like is was he just gonna keep linda as a second on the side yeah like a mistress maybe or just keeping his options open or maybe he thought you know i'm not sure well exactly if is... we're actually gonna get married like he yes. and Jane. Well, and is he, much like John Lennon, does he want another relationship ready to go if he leaves before he has the nerve to leave the relationship with Jane? Mm. Yeah, probably. He wants, you know, he wants to break up with her and, go, you know, move immediately into yeah. another one. Yeah. <laughs> Which he didn't, he even had a buffer relationship between Jane and with, Linda. With Maggie? Well, no, that's even a or side Francie. one. Oh, oh no, Fran Francie. Yeah, Francie was just like there oh, for right. like six oh, weeks. Yeah. Just, to just she just like a transition. You're right. You're right. She I was keeping keeping the seat warm until Linda yeah. could get over. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does seem to need like it's not, you know. Oh, yeah. he definitely doesn't want to sleep alone for sure. Well, yes, but I mean, for more than that he wants a pseudo girlfriend yeah you know someone to like take, take home to liverpool and to places yeah yeah like a, a companion <laughs> like explaining what a girlfriend is he has a girlfriend yes. like a a companion yes, who is also a sexual partner <laughs> yes like that <laughs> this is plausible i feel like the traditional story is also plausible yeah, but I agree. If Paul had been the one to break it off, I don't think he would have ever said know, so. Yes, would have felt like he needed to set the record straight. Just no, like, yeah, that's fine. I don't necessarily find it odd that nobody in the Beatles circle commented on it because me neither. They're they're none of them have ever said anything about any of the marriages. Yeah, I think Ringo that... and Paul aren't gossiping about Patty no i think and if they do if they even if they did gossip it would be amongst each themselves yes they're, they're not going to say anything in public about it in public no, no. i think that's off limits just, yes exactly off limits well here's a question though what is with paul dedicating his photo oh exhibit God. to jane what? asher what was that why about? i don't know oh my god I didn't believe that the first time I heard it. I was like, no, someone's got their wires crossed. But oh, he, he did. Mm, she she did say that when they were, maybe they'd find each other again when they were 80 or something, right? When they broke up? Oh, that's right. Wasn't She said that on TV in the middle of her announcement, didn't she? <laughs> or, in some, or in some interview very, very soon after. Yeah, like in a magazine or something. Yeah, she's like, we still love each other and maybe we'll be one of those couples that meets again when they're 80 and gets together i don't know yeah so maybe it was a nod to that like just a sweet gesture 
<laughs> but it sure looks weird from where we're standing. Oh boy. Was he drunk when he did that? What? <laughs> Maybe. Did he dedicate it at 3 a.m. after like stalking oh, her Instagram or God. something? Yeah, I don't know. I hope it meant something to Jane. Like, I hope she. Yeah. Gets she, the reason oh. and. Yeah, it made her, gave her a smile. I hope that her reaction wasn't like my reaction. What the fuck? <laughs> fuck off. Block and the and the th- yeah right, exactly. And the thing is, we'll never know because she'll never. Oh yeah, no, we'll never know. Damn. I want to know. I'm nosy enough. I mean, who uh, like who know knows? For all we know, they bumped into each other at a restaurant and had a nice chat and. He was like, that you know, it'll be, be nice. I still feel bad that I shortchanged her in many years from now. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm just going to pay homage to this yeah. lovely lady. Yeah. Oh, I boy. I hope it's that sweet and that simple. Yes, I hope <laughs> it's innocent. Because it sure looks weird from here. <laughs> Anonymous asked, hey there very much enjoyed strange bedfellows i'm curious about the prequel in particular what you think about that infamous postcard and how it might have affected things between paul and yoko in the beginning and afterwards i know the incident is apocryphal and uncomfortable but i'm not convinced that yoko's silence proves it never happened it kind of intrigues me to think yoko was sitting on something that could actually have damaged paul's reputation and what this might have meant for the relationship i'd be interested in your thoughts on this particularly given your earlier episode on difficult topics in beetledom just my two pennies worth but i'd be interested to know your thoughts thank you another good question yeah that definitely does fall into prequel territory which is why we didn't for sure really parse any of that stuff out in the series but um I mean, to the extent that it could, that it's information that could have damaged Paul's reputation, I don't know that that's true because story's been out for decades. I mean, we we know it, you mm-hmm. know, Francie published her book in, what was it, 74 or something? So it's not unknown information. I mean, it's, and it's been, that story has been reprinted in other Beatles books. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess if the question is like, Francie wrote about it, not Yoko. Like, meaning Yoko was sitting on it for five years before before Francie wrote about it. I guess, but to be honest, I just don't know how much anyone would have cared at the time. At the time. Yeah, I I think the thing that's most upsetting to people nowadays about that postcard is the inclusion of a certain word a shortened <laughs> version yeah. of japanese which is used as a slur yeah exactly at the time it was a very popular slur used in print and Derek taylor casually used it on tv in 1969 to be very clear i'm certainly not arguing that that makes it okay no I'm... it was still a slur it was just in common usage yes so what i'm saying is it probably wouldn't have bothered as many people 50 years ago exactly similarly 
Cynthia talks about John hitting her in the Hunter Davies book, which was corroborated by John. And that mm -hmm. content was approved by John, Mimi, and all the other Beatles because nobody really cared that much at the time. Right. And again, I'm not saying hitting women was okay back in the day any more than of using slurs not. was okay, was ever okay. Right. Right. I'm just saying that it, it didn't have the same power to damage a reputation that, that either of those things do today. So again, just to be crystal clear, I'm not telling anybody not to take offense. Yeah, we're just saying that Yoko would have no reason to think that people back then would take offense. I mean, John used to mock the disabled on stage in videos yeah. and prints and it, like it didn't do anything to it like it, right there were no repercussions you know what i'm saying like he can't do that exactly. nowadays thank god thank god right exactly so paul yeah. couldn't go, go on tv and use that word today obviously <laughs> although he did in the 80s <laughs> he's a moron yeah about one of his songs on mccartney too this, this it's like paul true. stop digging your grave deeper like, i just, know he's just an say idiot. you're sorry just say you're sorry yes yes exactly just shut the fuck up and accept that there are some words that you don't get to use exactly yes yes and i don't care if like the japanese guy down the street uses it that's I know. for him that's but not for exactly. you yeah but conceivably, that might make you think, oh, well, this isn't a word that's bad. But then if you use it and everyone tells you, whoa, can't use that word, then the correct response is be like, oh, shit, sorry. Exactly. That's the only acceptable response. Yes, of course. My and bad. Just, my bad. <laughs> yeah. The story is reported in two ways. From Francie's account, to me, it sounds like someone else sent that postcard. Mm -hmm. And Paul found it, fished it out, and went, huh, and put it on the mantelpiece so that John and Yoko were sure to see it. Right. People have taken that story and turned it into that Paul wrote the postcard himself, which I find harder to believe. In her account, he says, I did that for a lark. Oh, So that okay. could mean I put it on, I put it up on the mantelpiece for a lark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely bitchy um oh for sure oh yes yeah and, like passive aggressive yeah buried resentment is coming out who knows yoko yeah yeah yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure even from francie's telling john seemed upset by it and yoko didn't she was like whatever yoko was like i've read a million of those today yeah, you right? know so mm -hmm. she's like hate mail i have a whole a whole shelf of that shit yeah, I eat hate mail for breakfast. Exactly. Put it in my next books. art installation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm going to make a coat out of it and wear it down the red carpet. But I guess more to the point, I guess you, your bigger question is like, how would it have affected things between Paul and Yoko? Um, I mean, I if I'm Yoko, then I definitely get the message that like either... I'm thinking either Paul doesn't like me mm -hmm. or he finds me annoying or he's mad at John or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But I would also not go to the studio every day after that, but 
Or I might be like, maybe we should move out of this man's house. Well, that's what I'd say. Maybe he doesn't actually like us living with him. Yeah. And that's Francie's version, is that they left soon after. Ah. That's what, I mean, to me, that's how I read it. It's kind of like a note that's, you know, he's he's saying, politely, get the fuck out of my house. Except that <laughs> it's not polite. It's passive aggressive. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the coolest way to do it. But is it anything that Yoko didn't know? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Yoko that's kind of uh, yeah. kind of great and mm -hmm. kind of kind of infuriating is that she just she always thinks that she deserves to be anywhere she mm. is. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. don't think she has any concept of like other people's boundaries or like sense of like, propriety for, yeah. yeah at all like i think she's just like fuck you if you have a right to be here i have a right to be here yeah which is kind of awesome but it's also obviously going to cause problems <laughs> yes and be really annoying yeah 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 it doesn't seem she seems able to cope with being very unwelcome for long stretches of time yeah with many people yeah like i i respect that she didn't she didn't respond to that by changing to fit in yeah but at the same time it's like but you actually don't belong there you know like, exactly it's like sometimes it's just nice to be considerate there's something right. wrong with that yeah uh, all all of that said i do agree with you anon that just the fact that yoko and john never brought it up publicly doesn't prove anything you know, it doesn't prove anything yeah, yeah. i agree with that too <laughs> everybody in the beatles is sitting on some heinous yes. shit i can guarantee that absolutely yeah and everybody acted like a complete ass at some point so yep yep but i you know i do think it's good to sort of counterbalance the sort of more modern idea that like oh paul was so accommodating and trying so hard i mean i do i think that's true i think he was trying to be as accommodating as humanly like i you can see and get back he is sort of yes. pushing himself to the outer limits of human endurance yeah and way more so than anybody else that is yeah. true but it's also true that he hated having her there yes and that he was passive aggressive sometimes you know yep like he did yep. heckle them and tell them to get in the fucking bag and you know like mm -hmm. sometimes it really really upsets him yeah all oh, those bags so <laughs> i think that's fine if you weigh those two together he's you know i i honestly feel like his self-assessment is pretty fair which he, he was like we weren't that great but we weren't that bad yeah we tried but yeah. it was a tough situation and all all things considered i think we did okay i love i love his comment where he's like you know maybe if one of us had said excuse me please don't sit on our amp that wouldn't have been unheard of would it 
<laughs> it says something like knowing people and knowing the world that wouldn't have been unheard of it's like yes paul we get it yes <laughs> especially in the world of like derelict degenerate rock and roll ego drug fueled oh yes. my god yeah yes it was very low-key <laughs> unremarkable thing to say it's true Here's another one about Strange Bedfellows. Anonymous asked, Love the new Yoko Paul series, though I have to defend my favorite Beatle on all points of Paul being uncharitable with Yoko, and say that if I were Paul, I would personally feel justified in making voodoo dolls of John and Yoko, in tiny bags, of course, throwing them into Mount Doom and calling it my villain origin story. LOL. But you guys are the ones with mad skills and the podcast, so I understand and appreciate the way you presented these issues. <laughs> well, thank you, Anon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at times, I think everybody deserves a voodoo doll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were infuriating, uh, and Yoko continued to be so at times. But Paul can also be a bitch, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Anonymous asked, I just started listening to the podcast and a mistake in many ways in particular. I'm sending this while I'm still listening to episode two, but man, I really cannot deal with John not realizing how traumatizing a situation he put Paul into for the divorce meeting. I feel like he really thought Paul would eat it, just like he ate all of John's other blowups before that. Paul presents as being able to handle a lot, I mean, he's handled John up till then, and John came to rely on that. It's my belief Paul fully feared that he would be the next Cynthia when they were getting divorced, and that's why he went to see her. I think he really identified with her in that situation, and I think after that, Paul really feared that was going to happen to him next, and when it looked like it was finally happening, he probably told himself he, he wouldn't let it go down the way it had for Cynthia, and preempted that rejection to a degree. Anyway, John really thought it would all blow over. Like, come on, man. I wonder if he ever fully realized what he did to Paul. Paul just eats it and eat it and eats it all through the breakup and in the end still felt love in his heart for John. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely agree with the um the next Cynthia fear. Hmm. Because Paul is the only one who ever mentions how John brought Cynthia into it. How John said, mm. I want a divorce like the one I got from Cynthia. That's just a full on awful thing to say. Well, yeah. Well, especially if you're treating Cynthia like garbage. Yeah. Like full on just being a full blown absolute asshole to your ex-wife who did nothing to deserve it oh yeah and is being tossed in the trash so yes there's no, like there's no could you could you be more explicitly cruel yeah like that's that's quite a threat it's hard to interpret that as anything else other than like i'm i'm done with you i'm, I'm completely yeah, I'm done completely officially legally financially everything yeah sincerely don't want you in my life anymore 
yeah we're done we're not friends i don't want to stay in touch i don't you know, exactly i don't even just... want my friends talking to you yeah yeah that would that would have been scary so yeah if paul heard that and said okay well i'm not risking anything like that happening i am out then i don't blame him yeah this that divorce meeting never gets better like every time i think about it it really only gets worse <laughs> yeah obviously one of the most horrifying like one of the worst things that ever happened to him like one of the worst moments of his life yeah yeah i'm sure that you know paul <laughs> paul imagines worst case scenarios i firmly believe that he spends a fair amount of time doing that um I don't think he ever imagined John would do this. You know, I could see him thinking, I know, you know, I, I thought maybe it would blow up somehow someday, maybe, but I never saw this coming. I never thought he would do this to me. In front of Yoko, Linda, Ringo, and the person that I hate more than yes. anyone on earth. Yeah. Who, by the way, already knew. Mm-hmm oh my god yeah and john was like yeah i came into this meeting planning to lie to you <laughs> for, for financial gain but actually oh it feels good to just to say that to your face that we're done yeah. wow oh i feel great giggle <laughs> yeah Whee! the way that paul responded crying dealing with it putting himself together and being depressed and the but basically just like disengaging at that point and yeah. not speaking to john for six months until he calls up and says i'm out too mm -hmm. that all of that makes total sense to me like paul's behavior absolutely makes sense yeah it's very easy for me to see things from his perspective i agree the hard part is trying to determine what in the world john what in the actual fuck can you imagine doing that to somebody and then expecting no, them to come never. back to you of course not not unless i went on bended knee right and said i am so sorry i don't know what i was thinking i was terrible of me i'm so sorry i hurt you please let me explain yeah exactly and i think maybe paul was waiting for that or you well, know would have if you know maybe things could have been different yeah if john had shown up on bended knee would paul yes. have heard him out yeah, yeah yeah we talked about that in the series like yeah i think it's very possible but and i think john kind of felt maybe like he because he kind of halfway started to, he's like i wrote you a song i said yeah. i was coming like i i made overtures i said we could forget about the divorce meeting in the interview you know like <laughs> i said i said the beatles could make an album in the fall are you listening you're not even listening to what i'm yeah. saying yeah and paul's like you haven't said anything worth listening to yet yeah oh you made some coded overtures yeah over over the radio yeah that as far as i know you're just doing for pr purposes or because klein asked you to that means less than nothing to me right now exactly like if you meant that 
you wouldn't have done what you did to me yeah if i was paul i wouldn't believe anything he said yeah well that's the other scary thing that john had told him that he was planning on lying to him so paul has every reason not to trust john now how terrifying is that that's true yeah so paul's like okay remember what he did to you remember how you felt when he did that and then also don't forget dumbass he literally admitted to lying (laughs) to suck you back into a contract so it does no matter what he says don't give him the time of day you are done you need to wash your hands of this relationship and walk away yeah yeah and he was right he was yeah so scary for so many reasons not the least of which because being in a huge epic emotional battle with john lennon is incredibly scary because yes he fights so dirty he fights so dirty yeah that brings us back to the cynthia thing yeah well and he's like like if he wants to air his dirty laundry you're if he Mm. wants to air your dirty laundry he has a million venues to do that yeah yeah and not only like you've got john's you know ability to be ruthless you also have the fact that john is saying things to klein like is is abdicating to Klein, be like yeah whatever you you do it i leave it to you alan so you don't even necessarily have you have no there's no reason to expect any sort of fair treatment from any quarter like it's just bad it is just a bad situation it's bad all around it is now just a poisonous situation yes no wonder he had a nervous breakdown yeah what an absolutely terrifying situation okay well i'm gonna go back and listen to a mistake in many ways now i have (laughs) excuse me i have to go binge some podcasts (laughs) thanks for the series wreck anonymous (laughs) sounds like a really interesting podcast (laughs) anonymous asks about the prodigy discussion there is something to be said about social class and opportunity would mozart have been a prodigy had leopold not taken it upon himself to deliberately train him to play and compose music and leopold also having been a highly trained slash educated classical musician or if he had been given leeway to play more as a kid would mozart's career have been a little different there is a lot of unpacking to do with the idea of what genius means because many times it is seen as completely divorced from the realities of social class or deliberate hard work that sometimes results from external pressures not a child's innate desire to pursue that one thing that interests them i guess another way to say this is that mozart's prodigious skills go hand in hand with his training he did not discover music slash teach himself the piano forte I'll go so far as to say that most child prodigies have had strong teachers behind them. I will say that McCarty was not a prodigy in the sense that in terms of technical skills, his abilities were not honed, and at times he does not appear a disciplined student. However, he was gifted. By my vocabulary, gifted is potential and genius is a potential fulfilled. Love the podcast. Thank you so much for stimulating discussion. Oh, thank you very much, Anon. Yeah. 
yeah, great points. Um, yeah. Social class and opportunity. Yes. Absolutely. Always a factor in everything. A hundred percent. And there's so much good conversation now around the concept of genius, mm -hmm. what that means, how it's been used as a tool of white supremacy and patriarchal mm -hmm. bullshit. And yeah, I mean, it, it is hard to have a discussion about prodigies or geniuses without sort of mm -hmm. prefacing it with like, and for the purposes of this discussion, we define a prodigy as, um, so these are all valid points. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is a, um, it is a contentious term and it should, I mean, for good reason. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Thank you for the good feedback. I personally really like the saying that talent hits a target. No one else can hit genius hits a target. No one else can see. Oh, so that's that cool. I like that for like that. That's what a genius means to me. Like there's, there's a certain element of like, of complete utter like groundbreakingness yeah that's kinda... what I, th I think of geniuses that too like some ingenuity yes like something that wasn't foreseeable yeah that's why i think that's why i like the term for paul that's just what i think of with the word genius but that's putting all of the baggage that comes with that term aside which yep. is not always doable yeah and just because he had that potential doesn't mean it was inevitable that it would come out. Like if he had been born, you know, without those kind of opportunities, obviously he would not have become Beatle Paul McCartney. Like, you know, uh, there there is a problematic idea that like, you know, at a certain point, if you're gifted or a genius or a prodigy to a certain point like it's inevitable that you'll climb to the top and it's like no that is not true no not at all not at all and even he said that there's a great interview where where the interviewer asks him mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. if you had been born in beethoven's day would you do you think you would have written music in that style and paul says well yeah i i, I assume i would since that was the you know that's how everyone wrote back then if i was even a composer if i wasn't pushing a cart through the mud then yeah probably <laughs> just the best answer yes yeah. yeah yeah most people were pushing carts through mud exactly so yeah thank you for that anonymous asked what do you think of granny music <laughs> definitely pro <laughs> pro granny pro granny yes i feel like paul is sort of assessed on in a strange way and maybe that's just a product of his crazy eclecticism and the incredible variety of styles and modes and methods that he employs like if you if you take any five deep paul mccartney mm -hmm. fans and ask them to name his top 10 best solo songs you'll get five very different lists true which i think is cool but i can see how 
obviously there are going to be some people who actively dislike certain genres that Paul writes in, like his musical sort of bouncy music. A lot of people find, you know, like Maxwell Obladi, uh, uh, you gave me the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, English tea. A lot of people find just that kind of song annoying, mm-hmm. which is totally valid. But with Paul, there seems to be, it seems really common that people, to them, that defines him and it, it somehow cancels out. Yes, I find that very tiresome. The, it's like, right? It, it's like he has nerd cooties or something. Yeah, that infects his, you know, and so that yes. people won't give his other work. I can't, I can't say I like Paul McCartney because then you'll think that I like yeah. granny music. Yeah, exactly. And even Please. if it's like you're welcome to not like granny music, like that's completely. But that has no <laughs> yeah, bearing right. on the quality of the rest of his songbook. Yeah, and maybe maybe it has something to do. I think maybe younger fans are less this way because we grew up in the era of yes. it's very easy to skip tracks on a CD on an album that you mm-hmm. don't like, and then current fans, it's like even like you don't even have to be aware of stuff you don't like like you can just have a playlist i think we're also more used to just having an artist where we're just like oh yeah he did that weird project that one isn't for me but i like this other stuff yeah and the one does not negate the other like if you don't you know if you don't have a sweet tooth then don't eat sweets but also like don't be yeah. looking at julia child's cookbook and be like oh she has a macarona recipe in here gross nutritionally void that must yeah. mean her ratatouille is likewise garbage i'm not gonna do anything i'm not gonna make anything from this book like that's insane that's insane right well also if you don't like sweets maybe you shouldn't be criticizing a table full of sweets that too it's like maybe you're not the best judge then maybe this isn't for you yeah because sometimes paul is absolutely like he is a big happy fluffy silly whimsical pastry chef in a pink apron and if that's not for you that's fine yeah it doesn't mean he doesn't have other types of music that are that are more weighty and more uh, intellectual and more complex like he definitely does well and the other thing that make that is really irritating to me is like people act like all he does is make cotton candy which is not true it's like yeah he can make cotton candy he makes but damn good cotton candy but he can also do like an elaborate like croquembouche that's delicious yes yes yeah he has a fantastic layered cassoulet in in his bag of tricks as well Mm -hmm. Uh, suffice to say I do have a sweet tooth (laughs) yeah so I enjoy those things I am just like a bitch for song structure and good Mm. melodies I really don't care what form they come in I find not a lot of music unlikable or dislikable or whatever yeah it doesn't actively bother you no yeah that's good that's a superpower for sure anonymous asked i came across some troubling information for me 
and I was hoping you could help me with it. McCartney in 2013 took credit for the preamble of If I Fell in a really uncomfortable quote where it almost sounds like he says he wrote the song. I usually have little patience for any claim of McCartney taking credit for stuff he didn't do. I believe Paul on Eleanor Rigby in many years from now, he gives 80, 20 lyrics credits to himself, 20 to John, which was a definite upgrade. Um, the melody of In My Life, which he claimed way back in the 70s, and his playing lead guitar in It's All Too Much. 60-40 that he actually played drums in Old Brown Shoe. And yet this quote just stopped me short. If he misremembered it, how could he say this so confidently for what is largely a John song? Product of working so closely and recalling something that was about 50 years ago? If he didn't, then why would John also talk about the old 50s intro preamble and not give McCartney credit when he gave him credit for the bridge slash middle eight on the F? When he wasn't making outrageous claims about things like the lyrics of Eleanor Rigby, which were based on Hurt, John seemed pretty accurate about saying who wrote what. I think John wrote this one pretty completely, so it troubles me. I don't know how to feel about this, but it does feel like Paul, in one in one song, may have rewritten history in this one song. By accident, probably, but it does trouble me. On the other hand, I think this would be a good topic for this channel, tackling legacy of songs and the long-flung claim against Paul that he is always taking credit away from John and rewriting history. On the whole, I think that is a garbage claim. For stuff like In My Life, he was consistent since before John died and Eleanor Rigby too. But with this quote, I can understand the frustration of John fans a little more. Anyway, thank you for such a great podcast. All right. So great me, ask. It is a great ask. Um, let me pull up the quote. Okay. This is what Amaroloto writes. Somebody said... Uh, he was actually saying, I wrote, if I fell, huh? I always thought that one was very much John's baby. Emeraldo writes, you know, it's hard to tell. It could be one of Paul's Freudian mentions. I don't think there's any dispute that the song was intimately John's. I think what Paul is saying, that it was his idea to start If I Fell with its Tin Pan Alley-esque preamble. In John's yes. early 1963 demo of the song, it is already structured more or less as it is in the officially recorded and released track. So if Paul had any influence on it, musical or otherwise, it would probably have been affected upon John prior to that. It's up in the air. So here is the actual quote. This is Paul. I was a big fan of the preamble in my early days, which you find in a lot of 50s songs. A first verse that goes, I was living in Kentucky when I did, 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 and I did, 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 and then I said, <laughs> then you break, I don't know if that's a real song or not. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> then you break into the bit of the song. You want everyone to know. <laughs> yeah. One song I wrote a little after Please Please Me was my best attempt at a preamble if i fell and then he sings if i fell in love with you would you promise to be true then after the line just holding hands the song properly gets going that's it everyone okay paul mccartney interview with joe with jude rogers for q how does it feel to be a beetle may 2013 so um yeah we'll yeah. admit that's very confusing like, what are you saying, Paul? Um, let's just go through a couple of 
scenarios here. Okay. Number one, he's 70 years old and for sure uh and just misremembering something mm-hmm. um number two he was drunk or stoned it's possible <laughs> even though he is 70 <laughs> that, um, <laughs> as recent news items confirm yeah paul is still out there getting blazed it's very hard to judge without audio or context or whatever i mean our follow-up questions yeah i I feel like people don't give the possibility that paul has forgotten some stuff enough consideration Hmm. like even if he's mistaken about this it definitely or you know he only helped a bit yeah or whatever that's not that doesn't prove any anything like you (laughs) you and i look at our documents and we're like did i write that or did you write that oh my we god like right that's true <laughs> something we wrote last week that's a great point right yeah a lot of times i'll be reading our documents that phoebe and i have and i'll come across something and be like who wrote this did yeah. i write this <laughs> right if we don't color we'll- code our notes yes yeah. or we'll like argue with each other like i didn't write that well i didn't write that <laughs> so yeah i think it's definitely a certainty that there are things from 60 years ago that paul doesn't remember i mean i will agree that reading this it definitely sounds like one song i wrote a little after please please me was my best attempt at a preamble if i fell if i fell in love with you would you promise to be true now that's weird because number one he didn't write please please me i mean uh oh well (laughs) maybe you know what i mean like yeah yeah yes it's a co-write with john but he but probably 80 20 or whatever um Mm -hmm. whatever he says in his book so i'm i'm definitely not just i wouldn't honestly i wouldn't dispute that any early beatles songs are an 80 20 co-write because they seem to be doing that all the time well they're doing it in get back exactly exactly so i'm not a person that is eager to split hairs on those types of things like whatever if you guys wrote it together you probably wrote it together and it doesn't really matter if it's 90 10 or 80 20 or whatever Mm -hmm. um but that that's weird but also please please me does not have a preamble (laughs) well i took that just as meaning like post please please me were they talking about please please me maybe and yes that would be was... that would be that would be my guess that it, yeah he's not saying he wrote please please me he's just using that as a marker in time yeah but he's very clearly saying my best attempt at a preamble yeah so he is. he's saying he wrote the pre the preamble he is saying that yeah for yeah. sure that's what it's def that's definitely how it reads yeah is he claiming um, authorship for the whole song i don't think so i very much doubt that yeah he's definitely claiming the preamble he might be misremembering he might have written it though too. or he might have written it like yeah. i would not that would also not be shocking yeah i understand there's a demo of john singing it but we don't know if that was after a writing session 
well and not not to be a dick or whatever but like clearly the song is written when he's doing the demo you know what i mean so it's not like yes it's been moment of inspiration yeah right it's been workshopped yes it's not recorded as it comes into his brain that proves nothing it's a fully formed song by then i think though john at some point talked about writing that preamble too so that's kind of where the main contentiousness comes from well, let's see what John says. Okay. So he says, this is the first attempt at a ballad proper. That was the precursor to In My Life. It's the same chord sequences in my life, but just about round D and B minor and E minor, those kind of things. And it's a semi-autobiographical, but not that conscious. You know, it's really about, it's not about sin, my first wife. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true? I used to like intros like they had on 40 songs, you know, that have a long intro and then the song would start. So that's all mine, the harmonies, Pauls. So that shows I wrote sentimental love ballads, silly love songs, as you call them way back when. <laughs> oh, that's a mess. <laughs> that's a mess of a quote. The harmonies, Paul, silly love songs. It's not about sin. It's autobiographical, but not that conscious. But not consciously. Oof. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Um. For me, I don't put too much stock in that because Paul's never said it since. Mm-hmm. And like, if he said something offhand once when he was 71 and never mentioned it again i really yeah. don't think he's that's him like if he's trying to rewrite history he's doing a really shitty job of he's like, doing a bad job i mean i i'm kind of with you and on it's kind of like well i would tend to give paul the benefit of the doubt and say it's either a mistake or maybe he actually did write it or or co-write it um on the other hand i can understand why other fans might look at that and be suspicious oh but i don't think we but i don't think we can take we it's not enough to hang for certainty this paul rewriting history thing on he might have written it it's definitely possible well that's the thing is we don't know every line to every song of course not i watched mccartney 321 and found out things i didn't know little parts that were written by paul or i didn't know he was like playing that part or or whatever so there's a lot of elements that go into a beatles song and we can't just assume that we you know and again especially at that time like that one was written at the pierre hotel in paris in early 64 right so they had a batch of songs that were written around that time and i think it's safe to say that john and paul were not ever outside of each other's company during that period Mm mm-hmm so again i don't know how much i believe that they were writing apart at all during that i agree i agree because well they say that they were writing apart in 1969 but we all saw get back like if if that is what qualifies as writing apart to them but and yes that and that's even an extreme example in 1964 they're literally locked in a hotel room together and tasked with writing a whole set of songs for an upcoming movie like they literally had they wrote like nine songs in 14 days or something Mm -hmm. so and also john saying like um 
I used to like the preambles and I were, you know, they could have written it together and they could have both in their own minds have written it. You, do you know what exactly. I'm saying? Like, John could have been like, I want a preamble that goes here. And I thought this and Paul yeah, tweaks the key, it. Yeah. The key, the here's yeah. the key that it's in. Exactly. I want it kind of mid tempo. Yeah. And Paul hummed something and John was like, no, more like this. And he hummed something back. You know, it's totally plausible. I think I think it's silly for fans who weren't there and don't have any actual real hard evidence to get too incensed about it. I can see being a little like, hmm, interesting. And yeah. like keeping that in the back of your mind. Like that's totally reasonable. But it's silly to think you can categorically disprove that because you can't. Also, specifically with Paul, there are a whole lot of things that he said that I personally have been like, hmm, that's convenient, Paul. And then <laughs> they turn out to be true. So, Well, that's a good point, too. Yeah, like the I've whole like, happen as well. Yeah. Yeah. The switching of the name credits. Right. Like I was like, hmm, whatever, Paul. And then that memo turned up <laughs> from Brian that like confirmed everything he said or the Blackbird thing. Yes. He's like, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, the civil rights movement. It's like, well, that's possibly an application of hindsight. Very convenient. And then that audio of him saying that to Donovan yeah. in 68 surface. So it's like, yeah, maybe I'm going to give Paul the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And there were some things and like there was in our Facebook discussion group, there right. were some conversations about things in the lyrics that he said that people were like, well, wait, what, what do you mean by this, Paul? And sometimes yeah. I think... I think he's 80, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. I think it just, the quote doesn't come out perfectly. Well, and I found one quote from the lyrics where he said, John and I wrote a song every day, <laughs> which is very much not true. That's not, not true because then there would be a lot more thousand songs. songs. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I do agree that it's, you have to be careful about what goes in print. But also, you also kind of have to assume that an editor is going to look at that or like your people are going to look at it and flag the things that you... Well, sure. And some things are going to slip through the cracks and whatever. Exactly. So does Paul want credit for the shit he did? Absolutely. Like, I'm not... Would never for suggest sure. that he doesn't care about credit. The no. Same, you know, same with John. He liked to get credit for his shit too. And you know mm -hmm. what? Everybody likes to get credit. Yes, they do. And no one was bothered by Give Me Some Truth. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, including me, I wasn't even bothered by it. But me either, I was just like, including Paul. Can we talk about that? Yeah, exactly. Paul wasn't like, I want credit for that. He was like, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Did someone so, ask him about that? Did he say that? Yes. Peter Jackson oh, nice. showed it to him and he was literally like, oh! I don't remember that. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, I, I know it. this song. Yeah, this is John's song from uh, Imagine. Wow. And he's like, yes, Paul, here you are co-writing it. And Paul was like, I don't remember that oh. at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, right? Well, there you go. People forget things. That's my point. It's like, it's not like that song fell by the wayside and they never recorded it. He's like, yes, that's the song from the Imagine LP. And by the way, after hearing that, he's not mentioning it in any interview. Yeah, exactly. He was just like, oh, cool. So he doesn't remember everything is what I'm saying. And he's going to get some things wrong sometimes. Yes, of course. We have no reason to think it's malicious. 
Exactly. Thank you. So that's my opinion on that. If I fell quote and on, um, totally see where you're coming from, but that it doesn't particularly bother me for all those reasons. Agreed. Well, but was... your mileage may vary. Yeah. Anonymous asked, hello there. In an episode I listened to recently, you mentioned that John and Paul used to call themselves the Foreverly Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool tidbit. Do you remember the source for that one? Thanks. Hello, Anon. Um, I actually do not have a primary source for that, uh, but it is reported in numerous secondary sources. I mean, if you just Google it, it'll come up all over the place. Um, some sources have it as John and Paul themselves. They're like, you know, the, just the two of them. And some say the Beatles considered that as a name. Mm. Um, so we don't know if it's true. We don't know which scenario is the case. But so there you go. So no, I cannot prove it. Uh, you know, I heard somebody else mention it on a podcast somewhat recently. I feel like it was kate robbins that might not have been her but it was somebody who mentioned it like a reliable source so mm -hmm. i hope it's true because that's adorable friggin adorable yeah <laughs> anonymous asked i have a morbid question oh, mccartney good. writes some of his best work in times of great sadness and he always tried to stay positive but when the time comes and he knows he is living his last few weeks on earth what kind of music will he write then as an artist or will he write anything at all hmm. i mean i kind of hope he doesn't have that experience i do too i wish for him a quick death yeah don't we all none of us really want to see it coming right yeah he said that once. He said, I met this Irish woman once and she said, I wish for you a good death. And that's that's a great blessing. Right? That's a great thing to wish somebody. It is. And I believe that, I believe that's, that anecdote was the inspiration for End of the End. So Paul McCartney, in very Paul McCartney fashion, has already written his goodbye song <laughs> <laughs> at the ripe yes. age of like 63 three or something yep <laughs> i like to think like that to paul will be uh creating art and music until the absolute end i do too or maybe not like maybe he'll be like nope my work is done i'm just gonna chill out with my family yeah that too and like i, I really not good food. anyway I, well, I hope he goes however he wants to go obviously. exactly exactly <laughs> whatever works for him i do wish him a good death as the irish say yep we love you paul i Please think come on the show we have really good questions for you paul we do we promise to be good i'll keep phoebe in line honestly i could see him getting like a three months to live diagnosis or something and like writing about beautiful happy things for that entire time yeah me too or and maybe he'd like do some heartbreaking shit i don't know I think he will surprise us as ever. If he got a three-month diagnosis, he'd be skydiving and doing crazy shit. He's already living his best life. Like, he is. He's already going skydiving. 100%.
Okay, goodbye. Thank you, everybody, for writing in, and we'll see you soon. And we have a new series coming up, and we won't take too long. And we love you all. Thank you. We will take exactly the correct amount of time. <laughs> Daphne will not be rushed. <laughs> okay, we promise you good stuff. How about that? Oh, it's going to be so good. Yeah, it's going to be great. And we have other things planned, too, even after that. Oh, uh, we, we, we have endless plans. We have so many plans. Yeah, it's a problem. There's more coming. But, but a beautiful problem. Oh yeah, love we also all. have. We love you. We have new designs in our uh, in our T Public store. Go check those out. Oh yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I love you. I love you too. Which do you want to do next? You choose. All right. Let's see. Um, I don't feel like talking about sex right now. Um, <laughs> first. <laughs> I deserve that. Okay. <laughs> Friends can want to be together forever. Yes. Doesn't have to be sexual. Stop trying to not. make everything sexual, Daphne. I was... <laughs> that is rich. <laughs> Coming from you. 